The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 5, 1 through 6. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the word of the Lord. What do you want? What do you really want? That's my question for us this morning as we dive into this particular verse in Matthew 5, verse 6. What is it that your life is aimed at? What do you really desire? Is it wealth? Is it success? Is it a certain type of position or a certain type of status? Is it a certain amount of knowledge or the right kind of knowledge? If you just had this type of knowledge, then maybe you would make it. Is it companionship? If you could just get married, then that's really all you want. What is it that you're longing for? What are your chief desires? Friends, I drove over here from Omaha, Nebraska the other night to ask you this question. What is it that your life is aimed at? You're aiming your life at something, and whether you have stopped to think about it or not, your life is bent towards pursuing what you desire. So when I ask the question, what is it that you want? Maybe you're like, okay, I don't know, it's, it's Sunday morning, man, and... My coffee hasn't yet kicked in, so don't ask me questions that matter. Think about it this way. If you can't answer that question off the cuff, think about it this way. What seems to have the most gravity in your life? Your life is about your desires. And your desires are about your happiness. Um... As Ben said, my name is Dusty White. I'm one of the pastors at Coromdale Church in Omaha, Nebraska, and we knew of Sacred City Church before you even existed. Uh, It was a joy to send out Justin and a handful of people back to Davenport to plant this church. We did not think that you were going to be meeting in a tent. Uh, We thought you would maybe raise a little bit more money than that by now. (laughs) But it's, I mean, it's better than nothing, right? So... No, really, I I bring you greetings from Cormdale Church, and we are seriously proud of the work that you guys are doing here in the Quad Cities. Um, It's it's always a joy to be here. I think this is my third time. I think it is my first time ever preaching in a tent. I think they used to do this a lot in the 50s. Maybe in the 70s, too, they tried to make it a bigger deal than it needed to be. Uh, Matthew 5, 6 is our verse as it's been read for us. It's a simple yet profound verse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so I'm asking you what you want because 
what your desires are, what has the most gravity in your life, because that's what this verse is asking of us. It's confronting our hunger. It's confronting our thirstiness. Because as James K. Smith has accurately described in his book, You Are What You Love, he says this, to be human is to be hungry. It's an interesting thing because we tend to think that we're thinking beings, that we're brains on a stick, if you will. But the more we actually dig into the scriptures, especially this particular verse that Jesus preaches at us, he's telling us that if we are not desiring righteousness, then we won't be happy. We tend to think that we can just think ourselves into life if we just think the right things, believe the right things. But actually, Jesus is saying in this verse, what you love, what you long for, what you crave, what you hunger, that's actually who you are. So I have a big idea for you this morning, and it's this. Our desires determine our character, and our character determines our righteousness. And both are happening right now. Our desires determine our character and our character determines our righteousness and both are happening right now. So let's start with your desires because our hearts, our wants rather, our wants reverberate from our heart. It's the epicenter of the human person. This is why you've taught your kids, if you have them, Proverbs 4.23, which says above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And this is also why Jesus in Matthew 5 says, hey, blessed are those who who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He does not say, blessed are those who think a lot more about it. He doesn't say, if you would just think rightly about righteousness, then you would pursue it and have it. So friends, the Christian gospel is more about fulfilling life and desire than it is about a list of rules to follow. So if you've been told that God is someone in the sky ruling the world with an iron fist, Or maybe you've experienced a handful of Christians or churches as a group of people who have said, hey, Christianity is rules to follow for life. Then sadly, you've missed out on the true gospel. That isn't good news. That's actually bad news. And Christian discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than it is knowing and believing. Jesus' commands to follow him is a command of obedience right now. And he's confronting our desires on this beautiful Sunday morning. This is why tax collectors left their booths. This is why fishermen dropped their nets. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves, to align our longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, or you could say, like Jesus says, to hunger and thirst after God. Jesus doesn't just inform your intellect, friends. He reshapes your desires, and that is why I'm here, because I have seen God change people's desires. I have seen him do this in my own life. I've seen him do it for 20 years in ministry, take somebody, realign their longings, realign their wants, realign their aim in life, their gravity in life, and put it on a completely different trajectory, and that trajectory has aimed at righteousness. And so, friends, God can change your desires. This is why Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount tells us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. He knows you want to be satisfied. He knows you want to be happy. And so he says, pursue righteousness. He does not say, blessed are those who snack continuously on the things of this world, 
like chips and fake sugar, for they will never fully be satisfied. They'll actually just be miserable. Have you ever, can you relate to this? I mean, chips sound so good in the moment, don't they? And then you're like, oh, I feel kind of cruddy. And sugar is the same way, right? Oh, I could really use a Chick-fil-A shake right now, right? But they're closed on Sunday. I mean, seriously. He doesn't say, blessed are those who just snack continuously on the things of this world. They will never be fully satisfied. They'll just be miserable. Jesus tells us that the life that you want is a righteous life because he knows that's actually what brings happiness. And so we live in this culture, we swim in this culture that you can just do whatever you want and that will make you happy, right? So if you don't like your spouse anymore, you could probably get a new one. If you don't like your job, well, you should probably quit and get a new one. If you'd like to get a new car, well, then figure it out, get a new one. If you want to look younger, figure that out. You could do that as well. If you want to be known for something, then you can actually probably accomplish it. If you want to feel good sexually, then you could just pursue that. So what do you want? Nike has figured this out. Apple has figured this out. Amazon has figured this out. And so, friends, it's time for us to heed Matthew 5, 6 as Christians and let the church figure it out. So, the Christian who listens to Matthew 5 is the only person in the world, hear me on this, it's the only person in the world who knows that this isn't true. That The truth of if you just consume more things of this world and snack on the world, then you would be happy. It's the Christian who knows that that's not true. And it's the Christian who knows that this is more than a worldview. It's the type of Christianity that is aimed at the good life. It's the one whose aim is longing for a righteous life, a life marked by godly virtue. And all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the gospels, rather, those are the books in the New Testament that we refer to as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Jesus encounters people all along the way in those, in those beautiful gospels. And he asks them often, if you go and just do a search on this, he asks them often, what do you want? When people needed to be healed, he would, he would just ask them, what do you want? And he would make them respond with, Lord, I would like you to heal my son or whatever it was that he was encountering. And so as we've already considered, here he says, want righteousness. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does not preach to us, pursue righteousness because it is the right thing to do. He's brilliant. Jesus is brilliant. He taps into your gut. He taps into your hunger. He taps into your parchedness. And he says, thirst for God. Desire God. Love God. And spend your life pursuing God. He taps into your hunger. He taps into your thirst. I don't like being hungry. I mean, I live in America, right? So do you. So we're actually very rarely hungry. We snack all of the time. I mean, like we could probably figure out how to eat right now, right? We probably have enough stuff in our cars or in these offices or somewhere in some mom of three kids purse back there that we could probably figure out how to not be hungry right now. I don't like being hungry. And Jesus taps into our gut because he's brilliant. Jesus in his brilliance, he says, you know that rumble in your gut when you need something to eat. I want you to feel that and I want you to pursue righteousness. We have a rule at our house. I have a wife and six children. That's a few kids, by the way. 
Speaking of hungering and thirsting, the grocery bill keeps getting longer. But we have this rule at our house now where, you're, where my kids cannot say that they're starving. So for a while, my kids would be like, Mom, Dad, I'm starving. And I would be like, no, you're not. You're really not starving. Actually, I think you could go a good couple of months without eating. And it only takes a couple trips to Africa to figure that out. You're not starving. Now, you might be hungry or you might just be bored. But even when we're bored, we eat, right? Jesus, in his brilliance, taps into our gut. And Augustine prayed this. You've made us for yourself and our gut will rumble until we feed on you. Interesting. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness means that I would spend my life desiring to be right with God. So what is righteousness? I mean, this short little concise verse begs the question, okay, if I'm supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness, what is that? Well, it's not self-righteousness, okay? It's not you being the best Christian that you can be so that you can judge the other Christians around you. So what is actually righteousness? Righteousness is being right with God. Righteousness is your life aligned with Christ's life more and more and more. This is why we gather on Sundays, because I don't know about you, but Sundays, they kind of like realign me towards the Christian gospel. They realign me when I gather with other Christians. And then Monday's pretty good. Tuesday's okay. Wednesday, I'm getting a little tired. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of want to snack on the things of this world. I mean, that looks actually pretty good. Thursday's okay. Friday, forget about it. Saturday, I'm just trying to make it through. And then Sunday hits again, and it's like, oh, this little correction towards righteousness, which is why I'm proud of you for meeting here today. So righteousness is being right with God more and more and more. And if you wanted to try to convince me that you could be happy without righteousness or just with the things of this world, but you don't have God, I'm quite certain that we could expose your misery or your unhappiness. And that's probably why you're here. If you have stumbled into this tent or this lawn, or maybe you're walking your dog and just showed up, God has an invitation for you this morning, and his invitation is that you would hunger and thirst, that your life would have the gravity to pursue Christ, and his gospel is offered to you today. In fact, he gives you his righteousness in the gospel. Righteousness includes not only the amazing doctrinal truth that Christian salvation is entirely based on the grace of God, that it's entirely this free gift of God. That's the justification part of what Christians believe. But it's also here in Matthew 5, Jesus is telling us that we grow into this righteousness as we long for it, hunger after it, or parched and thirsty for more of his grace and freedom in our lives. This is the sanctification side of the Christian gospel that we believe. So man, if you're not a Christian here today and you just somehow got here, we're so glad that you're here. I couldn't think of a better place for you to be on a Sunday morning. I mean, it's beautiful outside. This is a beautiful church. There's a bunch of amazing people here. These people can get stuff done for the gospel. And Jesus has entered into humanity. He lived the life that you could have lived, that you couldn't live. And he died the death for you that you should have actually died. And then he was resurrected to give you hope and a purpose all so that you could get in on eternity and, and true happiness right now. That is the gospel. And listen to me on this. Your desires, your wants, and your longings can change. So if you want success, God has an invitation for you, and he says, 
Actually, I don't think you do. It will come up empty. Because once you achieve success, you'll want more success. This is why Rockefeller, when asked how much is enough money, he said, just a little more. Right? Because we're never satisfied with the snacks of this world. So if you aren't pursuing righteousness, your life will be full of almost, almost happy moments. But if God is not the gravity of your life, the epicenter of your life, hear him today saying to you, give me a shot. Hear him today saying, hey, that gut feeling that you have, tease it out with pursuing me. Meet some of these people, hear some of their stories, and give me a shot at fulfilling you. Friends, our desires determine our character and our character determines our righteousness and both are happening right now. So our desires determine our character. Here's what you need to know. You have some good desires. You have some great desires and, and you have some disordered desires. So maybe as you listen to this, you're hearing me go, okay, righteousness, that's what I want. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I want the happy life. I want the good life. I want the blessed life. And so I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You need to, as James K. Smith, again, in his book, You Are What You Love, so brilliantly tells us is that we should take a desire audit of our lives. We should actually consider what are we hungering and thirsting after? So we have healthy desires and we have disordered desires, or you could say misaligned desires. And you would do well to just think about those two things, healthy desire, disordered desire. Those are the things that we can think about. Here's what I would Here's what I would tease out for you. If, if my life is aimed at healthy and righteous desires, then it would be aimed at Jesus and his ongoing work in me as a Christian. Or is just Jesus kind of like my kid's soccer practice? It's also just kind of like the thing we do. Or is my relationship to God one of hungering and thirsting for more of him? What if your life is also aimed at disordered desires? We all have of these as well, right? Listen to James K. Smith. He says this. Look at your daily, weekly, monthly, annual routines. What are the things that you do that do something to you? What are the secular liturgies in your life? What visions of the good life is carried out in those liturgies? What kind of person do they want you to become? To what kingdom are these rituals aimed? What does this cultural institution want you to love? This is why Sacred City Church does liturgy every Sunday, right? You come here and you practice this type of liturgy because over time it begins to shape you into a certain type of person and that's the kind of person that you want to become. And so not every Sunday is completely different. Actually, every Sunday is kind of the same right? That's why we do liturgy in church. And so if Jesus wants us to pursue him and the father wants us to pursue him and a righteous life, he asks us in this simple verse to just stake, take stock of our hungers. And a good desire taken too far can be a disordered desire. A good desire taken too far can be a disordered desire. Let me give you an example. I'm the first Christian in my family in three generations. And so I, I have six children. That feels like a big responsibility. Um, for me, I, have, I, I would bet my life on my aim in life 
is to figure out how to create a spiritual heritage from scratch, is what I call it. I did not grow up in a Christian home, and so I don't know some of these things just subconsciously that we should be doing, and so I'm trying to figure all of that out all of the time. And so this is one of the things that the Lord has asked me to do, to just create a spiritual heritage from scratch that outlasts me. I don't want it to be about me. I want it to outlast me, right? I come from a long line of not so Christian people and God has changed that. So I spend a lot of my time investing into my family, investing into my marriage, investing into my kids because I long for that story to be different. And God has called me to that and I know that he wants that. So I'm committed to it. So I'm all in, but also that could easily become a good desire that goes too far. That would lead to family idolatry where everything now is about my family. And Jesus would say, no, that's not what I'm after. I'm after you doing that, creating a spiritual heritage from scratch, but I want you to want me more than you want that. I want you to hunger after my righteousness more than you hunger after creating something on earth that would maybe last a few generations. So you have good desires that can also be disordered. Our desires determine our character. And here Jesus in this verse saying and asking us today, do you desire me? And if not, why not? Our desires determine our character and our character determines our righteousness and both are happening right now. I do a lot of funerals for people uh, as a pastor and funerals are very sobering moments, right? We show up, we're sad, we miss the person, especially if we've been close to them. And then we also, we're sad for the family of the, the person who has died. And we wonder what life is going to be like without them. But you know why funerals are really important? Because when we attend to a funeral, Ecclesiastes says that the living have to take death to heart. And you know what you want at your funeral? I've been to a few funerals and so have you probably. You're not, nobody really cares about your career at your funeral. Nobody really cares about how much wealth your portfolio seems to say. Nobody cares really about your resume. You know what you want? You know what you want at a funeral? You want a handful of people that meant the most to you telling stories about how good of a man or woman you were. And that is called character. And our desires determine our character. And our character determines our righteousness. Recently, um, I have a 17-year-old all the way down to a 6-year-old. And so recently, uh, our son, I'm telling this story because he's not here, okay? I usually don't tell stories about my family because they're usually like sitting right here. And that feels a little weird to them. Um, so recently, my 17-year-old son started dating this girl. Uh, he actually, it's a family friend that we have. And so... They're both 17, and so we've actually done vacations together and hung out a lot, and it's actually, the, the parents are really good friends of ours, and so we've known them for a really, really long time. And so I've been talking to my son about like, hey, okay, you're gonna date this girl, let's talk about that, let's talk about what that's gonna look like. And, uh, and he wants to do it right. He wants to do it in a way that honors the Lord, in a way that honors her. And so we spent Labor Day together up in Minnesota with their family, and, and it was a really good time. And on the way home, we're talking about that. And, and, uh, and he says, Dad, um, 
like, none of my friends honor women. These are Christian friends. Honoring women is not a cool thing, right? So he, he wants to do it right, and as he's figuring out how to date this girl, he's like, this is odd. I don't know how to do this. But what you hear in that, what I experienced as his dad in that moment, is actually Matthew 5, 6. He's hungering to do it right. He's hungering after righteousness, and he's hungering after trying to bring honor to this young lady. And he's saying, hey, I'm not quite sure how to do that. But his desire is right. So he wants his character aimed at that. If you were to think about the people that you want to be like, maybe they're here today. Maybe some of them are here. If you think about the people that you want to be like, my guess is that list is kind of short, actually. But if you were to think about the people that you want to be like, maybe you look around your church, you look around your missional community, these are the people that have deep character. I would bet you that these are the people that are pursuing righteousness. They seem to be happy in life. It's because of Matthew 5, 6. They are happy. They are blessed because they're hungering after the right kinds of things. Um, we're pretty tight with our neighbors in Omaha, especially two families. And then this third family we're kind of tight with, but these two families, I mean, like it's especially during this pandemic time, it's driveway times. It's lots of, uh, you know, outside stuff going on. Right. And so, um, but we, we realized uh, a couple of weeks ago that like our neighbors were getting kind of weird. Have you ever experienced that where you're just like, I thought we were okay, but like you guys are being kind of weird. <laughs> just me, just me. You're, I'm the only one with weird neighbors, right? So, so we're like, we're doing the driveway thing all the time. And then all of a sudden um, they're doing their own driveway thing. And it was kind of like, it's the driveway so you can come, but it was kind of like, I, I don't know if you should come kind of moment. And so we started to like my wife and I are talking about like, do you think they're being weird? It seems like they're being kind of weird. Like, I don't know what's going on here. There's kids everywhere, by the way. So the kids are always the neutralizer in your neighborhood, right? If you want to figure out how to get to know your neighbors and you have kids, just send your kids over there and then you'll figure it out for you. It'd be the most missional thing you can do. Um, so recently though, uh, it, take, it took a couple of weeks to kind of figure out this awkwardness. It felt like some social awkwardness was going on. And then we realized, oh, through one of the husbands and the conversation that was happening, um, these two gals, these two neighbors were going to do their own thing. They were going to run their own race. And it was less about the race, the running race, and it was more about the party before and after. And so my wife has worked out with these gals before. We've done the running thing. We've done the walking thing with these ladies before. And this time we're not invited. Why is that? Because it's about to be a real unrighteous party, y'all. And they were like, yeah, we better not invite them. And at first I was like, man, that stinks. But then I went, that's okay. Because my neighbors have deduced that based on the way that we are trying to live, that we would not enjoy that. That's okay. Right? Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones on this idea. The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. That must also be true of us as individuals. It should not be our ambition, hear me on this, it should not be our ambition to be as much like everybody else as we can, though we happen to be Christian, but rather to be as different from everybody who is not a Christian as we can possibly be. 
Our ambition should be to be like Christ. The more like him, the better. And the more like him we become, the more we shall be unlike everybody else who is not a Christian. Take any man who does not claim to be a Christian and who is not interested in Christianity. Find out what he is seeking and what he really wants, and you will see that it is always different from this, meaning righteousness. Friends, in 2020, I think that the mission of the church, I don't think, I don't think non-Christian people checking out Sacred City, maybe even today or maybe even in the near future weeks, are interested in us conforming to their ways. They want to know what we believe, why we believe it, and then actually not in the head part, the thinking part, but in the desire part, in the hungering part, in the thirsting part, they want to know if we actually live it out. The culture is not interested in our Christianity dressed up in the world's clothes. So I believe, hear me on this, feel this like as a charge, okay, from like one of your mom's churches, because that's what this feels like, like Cormdeo telling Sacred City, hey, the most missional thing that you can do for your neighbors, your coworkers and onlookers is to pursue righteousness, is to pursue this righteous life. Is the Christian life easy? No, sometimes it's really socially awkward. But being right with God is far better than trying to be compliant with the culture. Friends, everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. And Jesus is saying, if you want to pursue happiness, you have got to pursue me. Jesus says, when we pursue righteousness, we get happiness thrown in. And so, friends, we're here today because God wants to awaken our appetites this morning. He wants us to take stock of our desires. Maybe we aren't hungry for righteousness because we're too satisfied with the snacks of this world. And he says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Our desires determine our character our character determines our righteousness, and both are happening right now. So having considered a little bit about desire, having considered a little bit about righteousness and what it is and how to pursue it, Jesus is saying to us in this moment, come and now, come now, let's start acquiring the training of your taste buds today so that you can become the person that you want to be. And then you can also, by the way, as a sidebar, get happiness thrown in. Some of us have been covertly trained to hunger and thirst for idols that would never satisfy us, but we're afraid to give them up. This is interesting because one of the spiritual disciplines that the scriptures give us is fasting. And so I just want you to know, I hate fasting because I hate being hungry. But Matthew 5, 6 is a good point for us, or it's a good, it's a good uh, gut check for us, if you will, to maybe consider even this week, am I pursuing righteousness and maybe I should skip a meal to consider it, or maybe I should skip all three meals in one day. Should I skip a meal on spiritual purpose? That's my consideration for you today. Skip eating for a day. Realign your desires with God's desires by letting your gut rumble a little bit. Only righteousness will prevail. There is no vaccine that will bring you the life that you want. There is no candidate 
that will bring you the life that you want. Only your desires aimed and retrained toward righteousness are going to fulfill you. Sammy Rutherford says this. I ripped this off from Ray Ortland Jr. He says, there is enough in our Lord's kitchen to satisfy all his children. There is enough wine in his cellar to quench all of your thirst. Hunger on. For there is food in hunger for Christ. So what do you really want? What do you really want? Will it satisfy you? Friends, what do you need to unwant so that you can have the fulfilling and righteous life that you want? Hunger on, sacred city, and lean into the hope of Christ, making righteousness possible for you. It's interesting that we celebrate two sacraments in the Christian faith, right? And one of them we witnessed here already with this beautiful family baptizing their baby. And then we're about to partake of another one. And you know what? It has to do with our taste buds. It has to do with our hunger. It has to do with our thirst. And Jesus is saying to us, when you do this, remember, you're pursuing righteousness and that's what you're actually hungry for. You know what's really crazy is that Jesus was actually righteous. His desires were pure. His life was perfect. It was perfectly righteous. But because mine wasn't, and because yours wasn't or isn't, he came to live the life that you couldn't live, die the death that you deserve to die, and then he was raised so that you could have hope for righteousness. And he knows what it's like to be thirsty, friends. If you're like, yeah, Jesus was perfect, you probably didn't have hunger or thirst. Listen, he knows what it's like to be thirsty. In fact, on the cross, he didn't say a lot of things. He only had a few utterances from the cross. But one of the things that he did manage to get out, one of the phrases that he said was, I thirst. And they mocked him. Put some nasty stuff on a rag. They hoisted it up. It was the opposite of water. It did not satisfy him. Only following through with what God the Father intended for him to do was going to bring you life. Jesus became hungry and thirsty for you. He was mocked for you. So when your neighbors don't invite you to the party, it's okay. The life you're trying to live needs to be pleasing to the Lord, and sometimes that's socially awkward and uncool. Just remember, Jesus knows what that is like. And yet, Jesus, in all of his righteousness, he looked on and he hung there so that you could be made righteous in God's eyes. We are all hungry. We are all thirsty. So may it be satisfied in Christ and only in Christ. Sacred City Church, may you be a people whose desires align with God's righteousness because the Quad Cities needs, needs Christians who are completely sold out to righteousness. Where you're hungering and thirsting for that more than you're hungering and thirsting for anything else. Let me pray for us and we'll come to the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful church, this beautiful people, this beautiful day that you've allowed us to sit under, to come under. And we ask that you would give us the healthy desires after righteousness. We pray that you would realign our disordered desires. We confess before you today as a people that we have some misaligned wants, some misaligned hungers, some misaligned thirsts. 
We also confess that we have been snacking on the idols of this world to satisfy us and they keep coming up short. And so God, would you help us to not settle for those? Would you put within us a deep conviction that righteousness is the life we want and you will throw happiness in with it? God, I pray that you would bless these people, that you would make your face shine upon them and that you would give them great peace, that you would give them great favor. I pray that the next time I'm here, there would be more churches planted because of this movement and because of what you're doing here in the Quad Cities. We pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen.